Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Toonami Preflight. Today we're going to be talking Broly, the legendary Super Saiyan, I believe number 59 on Paste Magazine's Top 100 Anime Movies of All Time. And if you don't remember, there's a small role played by a comet in there, which then Tongue and Groove brings us to some of our favorite comet movies, a uh, underappreciated genre of film, I think, generally speaking. We got some topicals. Jason's going to talk a moving picture. And week seven? Guess so. Ish of Adult Swim Singles. Only 45 more weeks to go. Wow, a lot of numbers. Uh, Let's talk Broly, Legendary Super Saiyan. The eighth Dragon Ball Z movie, or Dragon Ball movie, I guess. More More numbers. What do you have against numbers? (laughs) You just like your specifics. Uh, It's... But the Dragon Ball movies aren't all theatricals, and it's this is an actual theatrical. A lot of the Dragon Ball movies are holiday OVAs. Right. This is an actual made-for-theaters movie. was released um, in the early-ish 90s. Yeah. And then got a Funimation dub in 2003. Is this the first... Dragon Ball Z movie that we or the chronologically released that we didn't run. Uh, I don't remember. You mean originally? Yeah. I don't. I th- I think so because there wouldn't remember. have been. We ran most of the Dragon Ball movies back in the day, but we did not run them all, and I think this was one of the ones we didn't run. I don't remember why. Yeah, I don't remember the, it coming up even as an option. Well, the rights are different when it's theatrical. There are co-production credits. That, right. I think Toei is involved, and so that messed up the the rights for us at the time on television, which is why we showed a lot of the OVA ones, because those were, you know, the same people that made the show. So it was like an easier deal. Um, well, I mean, I guess it's all toy. I don't know. It was complicated. Rights are complicated stuff. There's a lot of lawyers and math involved. <laughs> but uh, Broly uh, is one of the more popular Dragon Ball movies it's right up there with, which I always confuse it with, Bardock, the father of Goku. That's an OVA one, but um, that's like really a glorified special. But uh, And the weird thing about Dragon Ball, I guess it's not weird. It's something that as an anime fan it you have to learn is that the Dragon Ball movies often take place 
completely outside of continuity of the show itself. So what happens in the movies stays in the movies a lot. Right. And then sometimes it, it does affect the show, but it's very, I would say that's rare. Um, yeah, I don't feel like there's a lot of larger implica- implications. It just is, they never sort of reference it again. Yeah, this battle happened and you just didn't know about it. It's an extra chap. Yeah. Um, so Bardock, why don't you Broly. explain? Sorry. <laughs> See, I always do it. Oh, what the hell's wrong with me? Um, why don't you explain the plot for... So there is a legendary Super Saiyan... Spoiler alert. It's actually <laughs> I was going to say, wow. Um, well, you don't know that in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Uh, who is ravaging the galaxy? Arguably, the title's a, a clue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. Th- but it's not explicitly said. Gotcha. I think we could have said a legendary super saiyan. I think <laughs> One of the legendary super a saiyans. Potential list of several super <laughs> saiyans. Uh, Paragus shows up on Earth and says that he's created a new planet, Vegeta, and wants Vegeta to come and be the king and help. Uh, hunt down this legendary Super Saiyan. Maybe, maybe not Broly. Uh, they end up going... He's grabbing me. Broly is? He's crushing your head. Yeah. Uh, they meet Broly. Broly is Pegasus, per, Paragus's son. I was going to say. And, he's uh, pregnant? No, he's Pegasus. Oh, gotcha. It's different. Uh, and he's... Be, he's Basically, the Hulk who has a mind control device. He, what, yeah, he's just the Hulk as a Saiyan. Yeah, basically, super Hulk. He gets the angrier he gets, the, the more powerful he, he gets, which is kind of my one of my powers. But um, I don't have it to the degree that Broly does. Yeah, you're operating on a more limited power yeah, scale. Yeah, I'm nowhere near power level ten thousand. Um, and so. You know that something's going on. There's some people who've their planet's been destroyed, and they said the, super, the legendary Super Saiyan did it. And it turns out that Paragus has been enslaving these people, and there is a big fight at the end. And basically, it comes down to, shockingly enough, Goku and Broly fighting the shit out of each and other. And were, you say you say the end, but it's actually like the entire back half right. of the movie. Is so like, it's that's what's awesome about this movie. It's, it's like if you like the fights, the movies give you. All less of the buildup with all of the fight that you get from good Dragon Ball stuff. <laughs> yeah, and it looks great. I mean, even still, considering now yeah. it's it's a theatrical quality, like thirty years you old. Know, yeah, really beautiful animation. Um, in the later era of cell animation, um, it, yeah, the action sequences are. I mean, that's the reason you would watch Dragon Ball, anyways. But it's definitely the reason to watch this movie. And uh, Broly and Goku were born on the same day. And Broly had a legend, a power level of ten thousand, and Goku's was two. Um, and so Broly, every time Broly sees Goku, he's just like, ah, "I'm going to kill you!" And then they have fights like and this, stuff like that happens. So let's see the. We aired this on Toonami two years ago, like not that long ago. Broly? Yeah, pretty sure. I don't know. There's a Toonami promo for it, so maybe this let's will jog your memory. Let's check it out. So, there's a Super Saiyan in the South Galaxy, is that right? He's already torn up most of the South Galaxy. Broly, the legend, and now he is free. That's the energy I was following. The legendary Super Saiyan. He's the one. You think three on one will do any good? Do you really believe you have enough power to beat me? Are you completely? Saiyan, he's the most powerful Saiyan in all of history. 
supposed to be who kill us who kill all of us dbc the legend of broly next saturday at midnight only tsunami on adult swim hurts so good oh yeah for once my memory was better than yours um so that was when we showed a few dragon ball movies many of which we had not shown before um because we were we weren't we at we were at a, a con when one of these movies was showing. It was that month where we showed a month of DBZ movies, um, or it was like several DBZ movies were shown in a row. Um, so yeah, it uh, it's like any Dragon Ball movie. It has good points and bad points, but I think the reason it's really popular, besides how good it looks, and that Broly is a hilarious character because he's just uh, the Hulk, yeah. basically. That. I think, you know, the battle sequence is really fun, and it's fun to see. And and like, and you don't need it, to know a lot about no, because <laughs> it's it. yeah, it's I, an that's hour. Why I always say it's a good thing if you haven't seen Dragon Ball Z and you want to understand the appeal. That's a good movie to watch because you don't really need to know any of the backstory, and you can still pretty much enjoy it. Yeah, as a beat 'em up. Um, also, I found when I was looking for our footage of Broly, there's a hilarious scene that was cut from the original that doesn't make any sense, but that I think is pretty great. So let's just look at this scene. It's called Broly in Hay. I don't, it wasn't, I don't think, actually cut from the movie, but it's still hilarious and surreal. <laughs> you never want to be like looking through some hay and see a face of a guy just looking at you. Staring up. It's super creepy. Yeah. And I like their reaction isn't to punch him in the face immediately or it's close just, the hay and run away. They just are all like, <gasps> and then he's just, I like that he stopped smiling and he's just staring at them. Hey. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, the legendary Super Saiyan Broly, worth a watch if you're a Dragon Ball Z fan, for sure. If you're not, still maybe worth a watch if you just like fluid, beautiful action animation. And giant... Oh, wait, but how does the comic features. come in? I forgot. We didn't talk about how the comic comes in. It's a, it's a pretty it's a far stretch, link. but it's... It's a tenuous uh, link. There's a comet that's coming to the planet that's gonna, that is New Vegeta, or would have been New right. Vegeta. And basically, uh, it's like... Shockingly enough, Goku beats Broly. He hits him in the exact place where he was stabbed as a child, and he sort of explodes, even though he comes back in two other movies later on. One other movie, one Bio Broly clone. Oh, yeah, Bio Broly. That's right. Bio Bio Broly, one of the worst Dragon Ball movies. And the the comet destroys the planet right just after they all flip back to Earth. Okay. So So that's your comet tie-in. So that led us to... Um, our sort of theme, which was comets. What's your favorite comet movie? Um, and my first one is a bit of a cheat because it's more meteorites, but we're just, you know, come on. For the purposes of this conversation, it's any large object that's approaching Earth and bad things sure. have happened or are going to happen. Sure. So that just is tougher to fit on the screen. So my, my first choice 
is, of course, the classic Day of the Triffids. Uh, a great book, a good movie. Um, I really like, um, you know, it's one of the early sort of post-apocalyptic stories that I really got into as a youth. Um, in the book, it is a meteor shower that passes by, and everyone on Earth that looks at it, ter- it turns blind, basically. Anyone that looks at it is blinded. And so everyone on Earth, everyone was looking at it, so most people are blind, and then there's a small segment of people who aren't. And it sort of, society falls into chaos. And at the same time, the meteorites scattered these seeds everywhere and these plants start cropping up and at first everyone thinks they're um benign they're like oh yeah whatever and they call them triffids and it's like oh yeah these triffids are great like they just think nothing of it but they start growing and growing and then in the in the book they basically uproot themselves and start moving around and eating people and like basically harvesting humans um so this is an alien invasion and the blindness was part of their first wave of attack um so then it's about it's good first wave. So then it's about the protagonist and the remaining ragtag humans sort of trying to figure out a way to stop the Triffids. Um, so it's been made into several adaptations, uh, even as recently as like 2008. It was there was BBC. It's very popular in Britain. Um, it's sort of like the War of the Worlds. Well, the original War of the World takes place in Britain too, but our country sort of more adopted that with our H with our um, Panic Orson Welles story, and then the the fifties, the nineteen sixties theatrical. Um, so there are several versions of Day of the Triffids. I prefer the nineteen sixties version. I think that's sort of the best example. Um, so let's they kind of change the origin. They change it to like a Soviet military thing, which you know I guess I understand. So in the movie, it's not related to. Uh, heavenly bodies uh only in the book but let's check out director george hickenlooper who's a really good director talking about his love for day of the trivets because i think he kind of says it why it's good better than i would hi this is trailers from hell i'm george hickenlooper a carnivore and i'm here to talk to you about the great vegetarian science fiction classic day of the trivets I first saw Day of the Triffids as a kid, and I, I loved it. It actually made me afraid of plants for a little while. I had a Venus flytrap, and I always had sort of nightmares about it as a child after seeing this picture. So I had a lot of personal... It, it, it resonates for me on a personal level. But Day of the Triffids is one of those Cold War science fiction classics. Sky. based on a very successful book called Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham, which was published in 1951 and which was deemed by Arthur C. Clarke as one of the best science fiction novels ever written. There's a fundamental difference between the novel and the movie, though. In the novel, it's implied that the man-eating plants, which have this aggressive animal-like behavior, are manufactured by the Soviets, which I actually think is far more interesting than the movie. In the movie, they come from outer space, essentially. The film deals with a bunch of meteorites landing on Earth and blinding the population of the UK. Starvation, fire, pestilence. Anyone caught in the middle of it doesn't stand a chance. I think we ought to get out of here and go on to Spain. How can you know it's any better there? I don't. And these man-eating Venus flytrap-like plants begin to basically assault civilization and break down civilization 
And the picture sort of deals with themes of paranoia and fear that were very topical in Cold War science fiction films of that era. When the picture was completed, it was short. <laughs> they needed it to be 90 minutes, so they hired another director and another crew and two other actors to shoot the lighthouse sequences in the movie. The novel was so successful, the picture has been made at least a half a dozen times. In 1981, the Australians took a crack at it, and most recently, in December of 2009, it was remade by the BBC with Stu Gray Scott and Brian Cox. The novel was first adapted as a radio series by the BBC in 1953. The picture is endured in popular culture. It's referred to in a song in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I find kind of amusing. So yeah, uh, George Hickenlooper, who did uh, Hearts of Darkness, and also the original short Sling Blade was based on, talking about his love for Day of the Triffids. And I was wrong, I transposed it. In the book, it's Soviets, uh, and in the movie, it's um, Heavenly Bodies. So So when we do our favorite Soviet Soviet books, Soviet attacks, we'll bring it back. Um, So uh, next up is a classic from 1984. A movie I was lucky enough to see in the theater when it came out, and again a couple of years back. Um, not, that is Night of the Comet. Um, this is an '80s tastic sort of. Yeah, this is like the '80s. It's yeah, it's in the '80s. It's sort of a mashup of zombie movie and a wild teenager movie, basically, and starring these two these two sisters. Um, so what happens is an Earth, a comet passes over the Earth, and everyone who wasn't in enclosed by metal, by like steel or tin, you know, completely enclosed, turns into a zombie. And everyone who, and so almost no one is left. So a lot of the movie is them wandering around Los Angeles, and I guess they shot a lot of it. They always shot on holidays, so they like shot all day on Christmas Day because no one was out. Um, so there's all these I really like there's all these beautiful shots of Los Angeles with this red comet tint cuz it kind of turns the air red and no one on the streets um so it's the Jason DeMarco dream I mean it is my dream so it's these girls kind of going wild and hanging with dudes that they meet <laughs> and they take Uzis or um that's a Mac 11 they take guns and go to the mall and like just break shit in the mall and put on clothes and then zombies come after them it's a weird movie that would only kind of have, I think, happened in the 80s, but I really like it. So here is, I think it's the trailer. This is the trailer for Night of the Comet. Did you ever wonder what it would be like to be one of the last people on Earth? We're talking ghost town! Who would you see? There's nobody. I mean, there's nobody. Ah! What would you do? Hey, I'm sorry if the end of the world makes me a little nervous. Where would you go? Get ready to find out, because the comet is coming into your orbit. The legal drinking age is now 10, but you will need ID. Let's be real. It's the night of the comet. What do you give me if I come back? Texas. Night of the comet. I'll be taking requests from all you teenage comet zombies. The night the teenagers ruled the world. Yeah! Night of the comet. The garden of civilization is on us. Fiction, isn't it? 
two interesting facts about the director of this movie. He also directed, right after Night of the Comedy, directed a movie called The Night Before. <laughs> he only directs movies with night in the title. He also directed the 1989 Matthew Modine classic Gross Anatomy and the 1992 classic of terrible filmmaking Captain Ron. So, <laughs> um, Quite a but career. Night of the Comet, a little-known, little-loved zombie uh, curiosity, but I love it. Um, for the reasons I previously discussed. And yeah, if then, you want to know what it was like to be a teenager slash college student in the 80s, just watch that movie and it's like... There were zombies. The dream. Uh, Go to the mall and kill people. And then finally, uh, my final choice is another sort of horror-themed film, and that is, of course, Life Force. Uh, yeah! I love Life Force. Uh, it's basically, Life Force is the story of, um, so basically, there's a comet, Halley's Comet is passing by the Earth, and they f- discover in the tail of Halley's Comet, there's a spaceship that's kind of hiding, and it's been sending a distress signal. So we send a, a crew of um, astronauts out to get it, and when they go in, they find these people encased in these sort of coffin-like pods, and they bring them down to Earth for study, and as it turns out, they're vampires. They're outer space vampires who suck people's life force um, for their food, and they basically shortly start taking over the Earth, but it's a it's a weirdly British production, so like Patrick Stewart's in it, and like all these pretty good British stage actors, but it's a total schlock. Like It's got great effects, but it's a total schlock sort of movie. It's sort of like trying to do the 70s disaster film meets an post-apocalyptic thing. Um, I really like it, and it's got great special effects, and also, be forewarned, it has a ton of nudity, because the vampires are all naked for, like, the first 40 minutes of the movie. Um, I mean, you don't need vampire clothes in space. <laughs> no, I guess coffee. not. So, uh, yeah, and it all hinges on one dude making making love with the queen vampire. I don't know why, but when they do that, like, the whole Earth is going to be destroyed, because um, she's, like, trying to take over his brain. I don't know why he's so important. So, let's check out um, uh, this is a super cut of life force scenes. Do you believe those blokes are alive? I'm not paid to believe nothing, am I? Don't look bloody dead to me. It's Excellent. A, it's a totally bananas movie, as you could tell from that supercut. But uh, it's directed by Toby Hooper, who of course directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist, so no slouch. I think it's the most money he had to work on a movie. <laughs> he just was like, I want I'm naked I want naked vampires, damn it. Exploding everywhere. And so he did. Bless him. It was a flop, but you can get it on Blu-ray remastered from Scream Factory, and it's a beautiful transfer. So anyway, those are three of my favorite Excellent heavenly choices. body films. Oh, that would have been Well, we might have yeah. gotten some weird answers. Heavenly get, bodies, you say? I think we're going to get some weird answers. Um, first for me is the 1986 written for the screen and directed in a probably poor decision by him, Stephen King movie, Maximum Overdrive. Yes. Uh, I really like this movie. Most people didn't and probably still don't. Mm, um, yeah, I think that's fair. Stephen King decided that he never... He said this was the, the worst adaptation of anything he's written <laughs> to the screen 
and never directed another movie. So, uh, but that being said, there's some pretty great dialogue and there's some amazing death scenes in it because uh, it's written by Stephen King. So the idea is that a comet has passed by and all these inanimate machines are have come to life and are killing everybody. So the movie starts with Stephen King in a cameo trying to get money out of an ATM and the ATM's just calling him an asshole over and over and over again. And then uh, it then transitions to showing a lot of other uh, objects. This semi-truck plays a pretty big role in trying to kill Emilio Estevez, who does a... I think some people said questionable job acting, uh, but I think he's pretty hilarious. Uh, the scene we have here is from a Little League baseball team <laughs> a good practice. It's pretty and this great. is when you really start to realize that this movie is going to be... If you don't like the scene, then you shouldn't watch this movie. And if you do, then it's pretty much going to be for you. So let's check it out. A little taste of the sweet uh, ACDC. I love that movie. I love that movie. If you like ACDC and machines killing yeah, people. I mean, what's not to love? Do yourself a favor and check out that. <laughs> if you want to see what mountains of cocaine can come <laughs> up with if it became sentient, then you would watch that movie. Indeed. Uh, then I think the, my next two movies are in order of me personally liking them. Uh, but I don't think you could do Heavenly Bodies or Comet movies without talking about either... Deep Impact, my first choice, 1998's Disaster Comet Asteroid Year of Plenty, uh, directed by Mimi Letter, who is uh, one of the co-creators of Leftovers, if you've been watching that recently. Um, Morgan Freeman plays the president in this movie. Jason, do you want to do your Morgan Freeman impersonation? <laughs> there is another comet headed for Earth. That's excellent Thank work. Uh, there is an extinction-level event uh, which is a giant asteroid coming to Earth that's going to kill everybody. And they're keeping it a secret. There's going to be a deep impact. Until Tia Leone, who I think works for USA Today, maybe it's US News and World Report, but either way, does not a Reputable tremendously news organization. hard-hitting, uh, that's right. breaking story uh, journalist. But she figures out that there's something has happened. This little kid, who's in, he's not a little kid. It's Elijah Wood, so in 9080 B, whatever. So he sees it like space camp, and his professor is going to tell everybody what happens, and he gets killed in a car accident. So then a year goes by, and they just don't do anything, and they're just keeping it hush-hush. But so much like whenever you're faced with a celestial body hurtling towards Earth, you have to launch people into space and try to blow it up with nuclear weapons. Uh, in this iteration deep impact it doesn't work and in fact they just split the asteroid into two uh one of the pieces hits and uh causes bad times in this image here and they're left with the the some bombs had explosion (laughs) and they've got to basically go on a suicide mission to try to blow up the rest of the asteroid and this scene is this tear-jerking moment of robert duvall and crew Figuring out that they're going on a one-way trip. So let's. Now, without the army codes, we're going to have to wait to set the bomb timers until we get closer to Earth to raise Houston. 
They may not have enough life support left to get back into the cargo bay for the nukes, much less to work down on the comet. We sure as hell don't have enough propellant left in the Messiah to, uh, to maneuver with. How are we supposed to get back off the surface once we've, uh, once we've gotten down there? We don't. Look at the bright side. We'll all have high schools named after us. So of the two Comet movies, Asteroid movies that came out that year, that was deemed to be the more scientifically accurate of the two. And most of the people in the movie died. Yeah. <laughs> like, which is, most of the characters yeah. die. Like the, And a lot of people on Earth die. The, one, yeah. the little one that he says kills millions of people that lands off the coast of... Um, <laughs> Cape Cod and yeah. destroys a basically the, wave. the destroys Northeast and yeah. England. Um, so that movie's a little bit more of a bummer. But <laughs> later on that year, great tidal wave in it though. Um, Michael Bay brought out the tremendously successful and uh, or as Roger Ebert called it, assault on the eyes, body, and soul. Yes, and that is Armageddon. I agree with Roger Ebert. Um, Criterion Collection has a I know a edition of this movie because they, they felt like it was they sold out. Yeah. Well, they don't have it anymore, but they did. Have they it. did. Yeah. Um, Everyone got really mad about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I watch this movie pretty much every time it's on, but it is not I don't, a fantastic yeah, piece I'm, of cinema. I never liked it. Um, much like Deep Impact, there is a giant asteroid coming to Earth the size of Texas, and it is going to kill everybody. And so rather than train astronauts to drill into this asteroid and plant bombs, they get the armadillos, the best deep oil drilling <laughs> group on the planet. Did you ever by see one Ben Bruce Affleck Woods. talking about yeah, this? Yeah, he's, he, he's, he's on, on the, the commentary, on the track, commentary track. track. He talks about that. He asked Michael Bay, he's like, it, wouldn't it be easier to train NASA astronauts to drill than get to teach oil drillers to to be astronauts, and he was told to shut the fuck up, so he <laughs> stopped asking those questions. Um, so, should we just cut to the scene? I think everybody knows. Uh, sure. Um, ben Affleck, in a recently tooth-capped role in Armageddon, is in love with Liv Tyler, who is Bruce Willis's daughter, and they are all going up together. There's some pretty hilarious moments. This movie is really not very good, but uh, I like it. I like more Michael Bay movies definitely than I should. Um, from my from evidence, I've yeah. The you do. I don't like any of the Transformers movies, but pre Transformer Michael Bay movies. You like The Rock, and I, you like Bad Boys, yeah, and Bad Boys Two. I like Bad Boys and Two Armageddon. More than Bad Boys. I like Armageddon. Yeah, you like. I like a good Jerry Bruckheimer Michael Bay summer popcorn. One cut every one point two seconds. You like dog shit. Uh, yeah. So let's check out this. Uh, motivating scene potentially some have said the greatest speech ever committed to film i'll Who let you be that? a judge i don't know some kid on youtube i address you tonight not as the president of the united states not as the leader of a country but as a citizen of humanity we are faced with the very gravest of challenges the Bible calls this day Armageddon. 
the end of all things. And yet, for the first time in the history of the planet, a species has the technology to prevent its own extinction. All of you praying with us need to know that everything that can be done to prevent this disaster is being called into service. The human thirst for excellence and knowledge, every step up the ladder of science, every adventurous reach into space, all of our combined modern technologies and imaginations, even the wars that we fought have provided us the tools to wage this terrible battle. Through all the chaos that is our history, through all of the wrongs and the discord, through all of the pain and suffering, through all of our times, there is one thing that has nourished our souls and elevated our species above its origins, and that is our courage. Dreams of an entire planet are focused tonight on those 14 brave souls traveling into the heavens. That man's not a salesman. That's your daddy. And may we all, citizens the world over, see these events through. Godspeed and good luck to you. That is some. That was not one of the greatest speeches motivating. Ever. That is some Moments. fucking horseshit. Is what that is. Cool. That's terrible. Uh, Shame on you. This seems unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Calling it one of the greatest speeches ever is unnecessary. No, I was just kidding. But I do like this movie, and it is one of my more favorite comic movies. I'm not kidding. Shame on you. Cool. Uh, let's check out some of Adult Swim Facebook's picks, which. Truth be told, we don't know because we're recording this. But I'm guessing cause... Armageddon and Deep Impact are on that list for sure. Yeah. Uh, Night of the Comet, I would bet, is as well. I would think it wasn't. I think it is. Yeah. And I... <laughs> Life Force and Day of the Triffids, I do not That's think That's a toss-up, be... yeah. Maximum Overdrive. I bet either Maximum Overdrive or Night of the Comet, I bet not <laughs> both of those. There's a possibility that Armageddon is all top five. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Armageddon's probably the number one choice. People are stupid. Yeah. Like you. So let's look at the Toonami Facebook picks. And I'm guessing Armageddon and Deep Impact will be maybe, at the top. Maybe Broly. Broly? Uh, well, for sure. I hope I hope our, our, our smarter Toonami fans will you know, be discerning and put Broly at the top. We'll figure it out retroactively uh-huh. what we were trying to do. <laughs> but uh, so now let's show you a few sneak peeks of some stuff we have coming up uh, in Saturday night's Toonami broadcast. Um, first up, we have a topical promo for Dragon Ball Super episode 24. Let's check that out. On the next all new episode of Dragon Ball Super. got incredible energy. To be honest, it's freaking me out. What are those imbeciles doing? How long are they going to warm up? Dragon Ball Super, Saturday at 1130. Ah! Come on, Vegeta! What was that? Enough already! Only Toonami on Adult Swim. And uh, next up, we have a promo for Attack on Titan Episode 10, airing at 1230. Mm-hmm. We took a week off for the marathon, and now we're back into back brand in the new swing episodes. of things. Yeah. 
on the next all-new episode of Attack on Titan. Commander Irvin, we're surrounded! We'll forge ahead! You're kidding. The scouts are here? There's been a slight change of plans. I'm gonna ask you nicely not to try to put up a fight. Get ready for a new episode of Attack on Titan, Saturday night at 12.30. Soldiers, prepare to fight! Only Toonami. And then we have a game review. Is this from Dennis? Or it you? is. No, from and Dennis. And it's for Rhyme, which I haven't played. Have you? I've not. Played Rhyme? Well, it looks cool, though. Let's see what Dennis, uh, a.k.a. Tom, thought of Rhyme. Life can be hectic. Sometimes you just want a game that takes you away. And that's where Rhyme comes in. You wake up on a seemingly deserted island. With no clue how you got there or what's happening, you set off towards an uncertain future. Early on, you'll befriend a magic fox, and he'll help guide you in your quest. Wander at will, platforming and puzzle-solving your way towards the next clue. With no score, no health, and no tutorials. This is my kind of party. The strange and amazing world holds many secrets. It's kind of like Journey with shades of ego mixed in. Sadly, the puzzles are a little too easy, and the adventure is all too short. Even if you grab all the toys, melodies, and keyholes, it's only about nine hours. This one isn't quite groundbreaking, but if you're looking for a quick and fun diversion, Rhyme is for you. We give it a 7.5 out of 10. Aw, oh, who's a good boy? Nice. I, I would do, say I, uh, Ico because I'm one stupid and two played that game pre-internet and couldn't verify yeah. pronunciations of things. Yeah, I thought it was Ico until this review, yeah. so I'm stupid as well. Welcome. Um, you're stupid about Ico. Here's why. <laughs> it's Ico. Um, and then uh, we also have a moving pictures uh, wherein I review a movie suggested to me by you guys and this time i decided to review soul station which is the animated prequel to the great korean zombie film from last year train to busan so this is actually the story of the outbreak how it happened it's from the same director and weirdly even though train to busan got lots of attention soul station just like i didn't even know it existed until it popped up in itunes um, so let's check out how I found Soul Station. Hello, welcome to another edition of Moving Pictures, in which I, Jason DeMarco, review an animated film suggested to me by you, the viewer. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about a movie called Soul Station. It came out in 2016. It's a Korean animated film. It's from the same director who did a movie I previously reviewed, King of Pigs. And he then later went on to direct uh, Train to Busan, which is the zombie film that came out last year that is a live action movie. His first live action movie, very well reviewed. And I didn't realize this until... Someone brought it to my attention, but I guess he also, at the same time last year, produced a prequel story to Train to Busan, and that's what this movie is, Soul Station. So Soul Station basically is the story of how the zombie outbreak that's already running rampant when we start the movie Train to Busan began. And it's funny, you know, Train to Busan has a little bit of the similar themes as King of Pigs and his other work in that it's a lot about economic class equality um, and you know just how people treat each other that are on different socioeconomic strata but Soul Station hits that point like way harder and it follows a couple different groups of people it follows a young woman and her boyfriend and they have no money 
and they're freaking out because they're about to get kicked out of their apartment. And she used to be homeless and was a prostitute. And her boyfriend basically wants her to get back into doing that because they can't figure out another way to make money. Then you follow a guy who you think, and I don't want to spoil it, but you think is her father, who sees a picture of her online and, and finds out where she is and hunts her, you know, to, wants to go back and get to her. And then you follow a group of homeless people. Basically, in Seoul, Korea, the homeless often sleep at night in the train station. And it's sort of an unofficial arrangement that the government lets happen, but they, they're, of course, treated like shit. I mean, there's countless scenes in the movie where homeless people or people from a lower socioeconomic class are treated badly. And so really the whole point of the movie is that this outbreak only happens because it starts off with the homeless people and people that are mentally ill and sort of the people that society wants to pretend don't exist anyway. The outbreak starts in the train station and uh, with this old homeless man and at the very beginning of the movie these two guys are like, oh that old man, something's wrong with him because he's kind of stumbling around with blood on his shirt. And the guy gets close to him and smells him, and he's like, he realizes he's homeless, and he's like, oh, never mind, he's homeless. So he just is like, I'm not even going to care. So, I mean, obviously, the director is making a, a, you know, a very direct point about how we treat our homeless, you know, how we treat the people who fall through society's safety net. So in that way, it's like, it, it, it definitely has an underpinning of a lot of meaning, which a lot of zombie movies, you know, use zombies to mean something. But I think in this case, they very much are the forgotten people, just regular people, people that have had bad luck or were born poor, or, you know, it's very much the zombies are their, their revenge for being ignored and treated like shit. Throughout the movie, this point is made kind of over and over again where the homeless try to convince the cops that what's happening is an outbreak and the cops blame them. And then the cops get taken over. One of our characters tries to go to the hospital and finds out that there's a bunch of zombies in the hospital. The EMTs won't listen to him and he has to like crash the ambulance just to get them to like let him out. And there's some really poignant scenes with homeless people trying to just be treated like basic human beings. It's a problem that exists here and it's a problem obviously in Seoul, Korea. Again, it's sort of like his other animated films. You know, it's weird because Train to Busan, it's live action and it, it's certainly not upbeat, but it's, a, I mean, it's a zombie movie. A lot of people die, but. It had sort of a more upbeat ending, and this movie, not to give anything away, but it does not end in an upbeat way. It's about dysfunctional people and how society is failing them, and it sticks to that point pretty much the whole time. It's much better animated. I think it had a better budget than King of Pigs, which was the last film of his I talked about. It's just as good in terms of its themes and in terms of his seriousness with which he's approaching the subject, which I really like. It's not just, oh, zombies, cool, you know, I think zombies are great. I love zombies. I think you can do a ton of different things with zombies, but I, I think it's easy for zombies to become sort of just a gore fest, and he doesn't use them for that. He uses them for, I think, a better purpose. So if you liked Train to Busan, which I did very much and I highly recommend, and you want to find out how the outbreak started, basically this is the day before Train to Busan, so check out Seoul Station. Or if you want to see some animation, you know, how they do it in Korea versus how they do it in Japan or France or any of the normal places that we see animated films coming from, I think it's worth checking out. I found it on iTunes. I think you can find it anywhere. So that's it uh, for another episode of Moving Pictures. If you want to suggest any animated films to me to review in the future, hit me up 
at ClarkNova1 on Twitter, and just let me know. I'll see you next time. Thanks. So, yeah, uh, if you want to know more about the train, what happened to lead the Train to Busan. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I didn't know that was out. Train to Busan's an awesome movie, too. You should watch that one as well. Um, you did a moving pictures for Train to Busan, did you not? No, I only do it for animated films. Train to Busan is live action. I thought you were. I thought you had done it before. Nope. Okay. Maybe you just referenced it. Uh, and then finally, we have this week's Adult Swim single, which you can get at adultswim.com slash singles, along with the previous uh, seven or so, six or so weeks worth. Uh, and this is a song by a guy named Holt. It's It looks like it's HXLT, but it's pronounced Holt. Uh, and it's a pretty sweet jam. Um, let's check out Super Fun. So check that out in the previous six weeks of singles at adultswim.com slash singles and come back next week for another all-new song all this year long. Uh, and I think that wraps up our, our broadcast. I think so it does as well. Comets. Good stuff. Heavenly Bodies. Heavenly Bodies. Thank you for watching Heavenly Bodies. We'll see you next week. We should rebrand to Heavenly Bodies. <laughs> this has been Heavenly Bodies. We'll see you in a week. Goodbye. Tsunami, every Saturday night from 11 to 3.30.